All during these weeks, we've talked about the faith of many people, the journey that they were called to out of their faith. And today, I want to think about our own personal faith journey because that's one that we need to focus on in so many ways. We live in a broken world, and it's more broken today than it's been in a long time. It's divided. As a pundit put it the other day, a a great historian of the American culture made this statement. He said that America is more divided today than it was in 1861. It's sad where we are. But we have to remember there's only one antidote for the problem. The disease is sin. The antidote is Jesus. The receptacle that carries the medicine to the community is the Christian. We've got to remember that. We are not to be play-by-play guys up in the booth talking about the world. Talking about how horrible it is and, and giving details about it. No, we're to be down there on the field making a difference. So as we get into this, I want to, to ask you a couple of questions. Simply because I want you to think about your faith journey and how you can return to it. Or you can begin moving again. Some people are in the middle of their faith journey and, and they're frozen because they don't know what to do. Three questions. Number one, what have you felt like lately when you felt the desire to give up? What did you want to give up on your goals, your dreams, possibly on your family? People are getting locked in this situation where the future is terrifying them. They can't see clearly what's ahead. They're becoming discouraged. What have you felt like lately when you wanted to give up? Secondly, what have you left undone in life? What is laying out there that you started and you had such an energy towards and then you stopped or walked away from it? Some people, when the coronavirus pandemic started, they quit doing anything. They got in their proverbial corner and they've shivered and they've been afraid And they've let elements of the world sink into their life and tell them that it's horrible and it's never getting better again. That's the thing that's most terrifying to me. And then thirdly, what is holding you back right now from doing God's full will in your life? What's distracting you? What's pulling you away from where you should be? What's made you develop a misplaced guidance about where you should go. All these are are, are critical questions that the writer of Hebrews asks in this passage. Three little verses, yet three powerful verses. The Bible describes life as a race, not a hundred-yard dash, but a marathon. And in that race, we have to continue. We're not contending with one another, not at all. Our race is to achieve the ultimate goal, which is to be like Jesus. And while everyone runs in this race, not everyone will finish well, and some won't finish at all. They'll get discouraged, distracted, hurt. 
they'll just give up. They'll find a reason to walk away from church, and it's, it's never God. It's always somebody else. It's so easy to get caught up with, with people when you're standing in church worshiping God. Now think about that. Our eyes should be fixed on Him. Nothing should draw us away from Him. Some people leave a lot of things unfinished in their life. They start out well, their plans are good, everything's described, but somehow all of these things are laying around them that never were finished. They're, they're literally strewn around as rubble. They were once good ideas and they were achievable goals, but they stopped at a time that was tough. And they started something new, hoping that they could get back that feeling of newness and, and beginning again. I've met in, in my lifetime several preachers that stay basically a year at a church and then they move on. And I've asked some folks about that that have ministered longer than I have and, and they said this, the same thing. They said, some preachers like that first year because it's like your honeymoon. And everything's going good. But when it gets down to the tough times, to the times to make decisions, Solomon-like decisions, they leave. And let me tell you something. We are all going through this struggle together. And people are afraid but the strength that we have as a body of Christ is, is an overcoming strength, a fantastic strength, and we need to stay together in what we do. The Apostle Paul talks about this life as a race, saying that if we want to receive the prize of heaven at the end, we'll need to run it according to the rules. Now let me re remind you of this. Some people think, oh, I'm so worried because I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to have this great big balance scale and he's going to put all my sins on one side and he's going to come over here and he's going to put the good things I've done over there and I want to hurry up and do enough good things so they'll outweigh the bad things. Can I tell you something honestly? That idea is from the pits of hell. Number one, all the sin that's over here is covered in the blood. It's gone. The penalty is gone. No one is going to look back at you and say, look at all that sin, look at your life, look at what a mess you made of that. No, not at all. You're covered in the blood of Jesus. You're forgiven. What you need to focus on is not a scale, but a finish line. And you need to move faithfully toward that finish line. God anticipates great things out of us. He, he allows us the perfect environment to do that in. And Selma's the perfect environment. We've got 100 churches within the city limits of Selma, and we've got less Christians than any town I've ever been in. A lot of religious people, a lot of denominational people, but not a lot of really faithful Christians. So our work is great. This race is important. Some people live life saying, life happens, this is just the way it is, I'm going to move on. But they leave behind them a disaster. You know, it's not your job to sweep up after other people. When you have children, you sweep up after them. But then you teach them to sweep up after themselves. 
But as a Christian, you can't clean up after someone else. You need to focus on what you're doing for Christ and stay faithful to that. Our personal character is not determined by how well we start the race, but how we finish it. There's a unique passage in 1 Kings 20, and there's a conversation going on, and I'll give him credit. Ahab made one brilliant statement in all of his life. He didn't make many because mainly his wife made the statements, Jezebel. But in talking to King Ben-Hadad of Syria, he said this. Ben-Hadad was bragging about his army and their greatness. And Ahab looked at him and said this. Don't boast about putting your armor on. Boast when you take it off. What a great statement. I think he had a a moment of clarity before God. We don't need to get excited about how the race begins because really that doesn't matter. For many years I watched the Peachtree Road Race and I always was amazed at how the people would do. We had our pastor at Second Ponce de Leon uh, ran every year in the race and our church sponsored... uh, some of the medics and the nurses that worked there with him because we were at a point in the race where uh, they needed help when they got to our church. And so we had that set up. We had doctors and, and surgeons and therapists and nurses there. But one year, Dr. Marsh, our pastor, was running in the race, and he said, you know, it's going to be hot tomorrow. And he said, and he said this on television. He said, you would do me a great favor if when I pass the church, throw a cup of cold water on me. Well, it didn't work out so well. He got hit by about 200 cups of water. In fact, everybody in his area there fell down. And we wanted to be faithful to him in the race, but we overdid it. We should have known there were many people that needed help and and, and should not have taken him at his word for that. The race is important, and it's not how you begin, but it's how you finish. And I want to think about three, quickly, three things that are so important in that race. Three ideas everyone needs to consider in their race. The first thing is, you need to remove the deterrents that are there for you. Now you say, wait, Jesus will do that for me. No, Let me explain what I mean by deterrent or distractor. Hebrews 12, 1, the latter portion says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. When he said let us, what he was saying was, we've got to be faithful in in rooting out the sin in our lives. God's forgiven us of the penalty of those sins. But we still have the presence of those sins. And we have to sanctify ourselves by having more of Jesus than of the flesh within us. And it's important for us to do that. It's, it's unusual the word weight and sin here are, are, are very powerful in what they're saying because it's describing something that will destroy your Christian life if you let it. It can seep in over time and take you apart. It's very frightening. I was told one time when I saw a tower collapse on one of the Boy Scout bases that w- was near my church in, in uh, middle Georgia, this beautiful tower. 
And it was built so perfectly. It had been there for years. And the kids would climb up a rope on that tower, and then on the other side they'd run down the stairs. And one day when nobody was on it, it collapsed. It just fell over. They had painted that tower, the, the legs to it, hundreds and hundreds of times. But when they put it up, they failed in two, two regards. When they stuck that huge pipe that was about a 12-inch pipe and it was over 40 feet long, when they stuck it in, in the, the ground and put concrete around it, they didn't close the underside of it. And number two, they never coated the inside of the pipe. It literally rusted from the inside out. All along, that was going on. And at any time, it, it could have collapsed, and literally all four legs just gave in. Thank God nobody was on it. But that's how sometimes we rust and die. If we don't work out our own salvation, as we are described in another passage, doing in sanctification, you know what happens? We rust from the inside out. We'll take care of the outside appearances. We'll use the Christian language. We'll have a Bible. We'll go to church. We'll do all the right things. But we forget to take care of those things on the inside that are the framework of what we are. The word here, laying aside, is, it, by the way, is not a very gentle... It doesn't mean that you would lay aside like your clothes to wear to church on Sunday. No, it means ripping something out. It means tearing out sin that is within you to get serious about it, not to, not to just sit by and say, I'll handle that one day later on. No, it means to remove it right away. Some people struggle their whole lives with one sin because they're too gentle with that sin, because it's become a part of their life. And somewhere along the road, they became companions. Be careful about that kind of sin. That kind of sin will become so much a part of you that you don't know where the line of separation is. And Satan loves that kind of sin. Remove that deterrent. It's dangerous. One of the main distractions is all the stuff we have sometimes. We can acquire so much stuff. And... It, it's meaningless and useless, but somehow we get attached to it, and, and memories are attached to it. One of my dear friends that I've made while I was here in Selma is Angie Morgan, the auctioneer. They're having an auction today, by the way. Um, Angie told me about going the other day to a woman's house, and she wanted to sell some things. And she looked over the stuff, and she said, there's really nothing here that will sell she said, you'd be better giving this to goodwill because there's not a lot of value here. And the woman began to pick article after article up and show her. She said, this was my mama's. My mama got this at a certain time, and, and oh, I can't, I can't sell that for that. And she said, you know, I think this has more value to you than anybody else. Maybe you need to keep it. Some of the things we value... We value for the wrong reason. Jim, Jim Henson of the Muppet fame made a movie called Labyrinth. Any of y'all see that? Great movie. Great movie. In the movie, a teenage girl went searching for her baby brother. One of the scenes was her in her bedroom 
with the little old Muppet lady, they called her, who kept piling the girl's possessions on her back to make her journey. And she had so many, when they finished, she couldn't even take a step. That's the kind of thing we have to let go of. We can't hold on to everything from the past, whether it's attached to a person or a memory or a place or a career or a house. We can't hold on to it. Sometimes we have to lay things aside and know that we're doing the right thing. I've seen families, after the death of a loved one, a matriarch or patriarch of the family, get into the worst squabbles over the least important things. Let me give you an example. Laurie and Mary Beth and Bobby lost the sweetest woman in the world, their mother, when she died. I know right where she sat. She watched me every time I preached. She critiqued me on Monday mornings when I would preach on Sunday and tell me what was good and what could have been better. They had an estate sale at the house, and she had a beautiful sofa. It was carved beautifully. It had been restored. It was wonderful. And, and two side chairs that she was so proud of. You know where they are, by the way? They're my house. The three of them loved them, and, and they contained memories, but their mother was not there. She was in their heart. And so they said, you struggle with mom as much as we did. You want them? And so they're in my house, and they are a prized possession. Anytime I feel like I'm being neglected, I sit on them and think about your mama chewing me out. And boy, did I miss that. She loved me, and that's the way she loved those things can't hold a person or your memories. But what they can do is they can hold you back. Secondly, keep your eye on the prize. Don't get distracted. There are many distractions in the world. My wife's uncle was a manager and promoter of Evander Holyfield. Evander is a Christian. But somewhere in the process of, of his career, he lost sight of the direction he should go. He made $330 million in about an eight-year span. And now it's all gone. It's all gone. He got his eye off the goal. And I, I'm, the goal was never to be the champ because he twice became the heavyweight champ. The goal was serving Jesus. A couple of years ago, I had an opportunity to sit down with him just to ask him how he was doing. And in the midst of that, he looked at me and he said, Jerry, I lost sight of where Jesus was leading me. And I'm trying to get back there. There were so many distractors in his life. Some people, some people say, well, you know, why did this happen? I, I, I don't understand. I started out going the right way, and, and now I'm over here. Let me tell you, if, if you're going to finish well, then you have to continue to remind yourself what's at the finish and why. 
And the why really matters. It determines so much. It's the motivation for you to go after these goals, whether they're short-term goals or eternal goals. That decides what you will do. The problem with us in humanity today is gratification. The distance between when you want something and when you get it. The world today is operating like a day labor shop. When I had my restaurants in Atlanta, scattered all over Atlanta were these day labor places where you could walk in in the morning right at daylight, fill out a little card, hand it to them, and they'd send you out on a job. And when you came back, they handed you money. And there were people that did that for years. Because some of them came into my restaurant and would eat when they'd come back from their job. And I would say, why don't you get a full-time job? Why don't you get something permanent? And they said, no, you know, those, those kind of jobs, you have to wait a week or two to get paid. And we can't afford to do that. Now think about that logic. But that's the way some people live their lives. They're like a day laborer. They, they want what they want right away. But our rewards for heaven are off in a distance. Let me explain something to you quickly. Yesterday morning at about 3 a.m., Margaret Griffin stepped into heaven. It was a long journey. Her situation going through Alzheimer's was horrible because Margaret was one of those people we all loved. She was probably brought more joy to my life than anybody. She always spoke to me. She never walked into this room when I was preaching that she didn't find a way to speak to me. And her words were always encouraging. I know right now what she's doing in heaven. You mean to tell you? What does she love doing the most? She loved teaching school, but she told me being the welcome wagon lady in Selma was her favorite thing. She's at the gates of heaven and she's doing a welcome for everybody that walks in. She loves people. She, she loves to be with people. And, and, and I guarantee you, she's in the midst of a throng of people that she greeted into Selma and they're going to greet her into heaven. She loved people. She's going to receive a great reward for that. But lastly, I want you to realize this. Don't get discouraged. Refuse to listen to anything that's discouraging. Don't allow it in your mind and in your heart. D.L. Moody said one time, he said, I've never known God to use a discouraged person effectively. Discouragement puts us away from what we need to be. Elijah was on Mount Carmel and, and performed one of the greatest miracles in the Bible next to parting the Red Sea. He brought fire down from heaven, literally burned up stones, statues, water, everything that was there. Wouldn't you love to do that at least once or maybe twice? It'd be fun. I mean, just people say that. But right after he said it, right after it happened, right after they slaughtered all the prophets of Baal because he proved that day who the true God was, you know what he did? He went away into a wilderness and sat down and told God he wanted to die. He got so discouraged, he just gave up. Always remember, it's, it's after your greatest success or achievement in life that you will get the most depressed. Be prepared for it. 
Discouragement is out there. You know, the Proverbs tells us very plainly, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. If you think that way, you will become that way. And lastly this, discouragement is the opposite of faith. Think about it. Faith is knowing where you're going, not the details, but that you're moving closer to Christ. Discouragement is not knowing where to go or what to do. Losing sight of where you're headed. My favorite app on my iPhone is the map app. And I, always, I can, some of y'all live in places that are just out there, you know that. Charlie, took me a while to find where you and Doris live in the middle of nowhere. But I can put a physical address in there, and the sweetest little old lady on that iPhone will give me directions. She won't even criticize if I go the wrong way. And I listen to those directions, and many times I'm reminded that there's something else that's better than a GPS, spiritually speaking. And it will guide us faithfully and safely home. Don't allow discouragement to ever take a hold of you because sometimes in life it will. David Frum, for many years, was George W. Bush's speechwriter, and, and he wrote a book entitled The Right Man. And in that book, he talked about what happened on September the 11th, 2001. He said it broke his heart when he looked and saw what was going on. And it, it, he said it seemed like America's heart sank together as one. He wrote that a sudden sense of American ownership changed in our hearts. Once we realized that there was a way to move beyond that, we saw that the, the, the trade buildings were not just buildings, they were our buildings. That New York wasn't just another city, it was our city. That the Pentagon was ours. That that field in Pennsylvania was ours. And he said it was amazing how everybody changed in that attitude. He said, I remember that night getting home. He said, my children came in and they said, Daddy, what's going on? And he said, there's nothing going on that God can't get us through. And he said, we sat in the living room with a television off, praying. And we all slept there that night. Mom, Dad, and the three kids. And he said, I can honestly say that that night I felt more in unison with my family than any other time. And he said it was not because of the disaster. It was because we found a way to get past it. That's what God gives us. It's amazing to see what God can do. You see, sometimes on the outside, we're tattered and torn. Yet on the inside, we are focused on Jesus. And our journey is not over. It's just beginning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we go forward on our faith journey, we do so with an understanding of what you're going to do in our life will bless us. You give us no details. You don't go through a lot of rhetoric about it. You simply say, trust me and I'll protect you. Allow me 
to step before you. Let me do the, bat, the fighting in the battle. You don't have to fight. And all these things you tell us, Lord, and you want us to trust you. I pray that we'll learn to do that even today, that we will understand the importance of obedience more now than ever before. And Father, I pray that you speak to someone this morning, someone who desires in their heart of hearts to finish the race well. And they need to refocus themselves on where they're going. God, speak to someone today. If there's one here that needs to come forward and pray and seek out God's face and his direction, God can be found kneeling at this altar. And I pray that you'll be faithful in seeking him out. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.